Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. We're going to be looking this morning um, in resuming our time um, from the Sermon on the Mount. And so what we'll do... um, First is I'm gonna put up the excuse me put up the um, text and let you read that along with me. If I can pull that up, here we go. So Matthew chapter five and verses ten and eleven says, "Blessed are." The peacemakers, excuse me, blessed are, we just finished, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm reading off the wrong sheet. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that two weeks ago. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today we're going to quickly look at uh, at this text. And, and to be honest, I felt like it was important to include uh, the 10th verse as we move into the 11th verse. And um, two weeks ago, we spent quite a bit of time talking about what it might mean. Um, to be persecuted. And I would like today to come at this from a little bit of a different door um, than maybe we might have approached it in the past. We looked at what it might mean for us to experience persecution. Specifically in this context, it probably means that we are choosing to give our allegiance only to Christ and the kingdom of God. That's the entire context of the Sermon on the Mount. It's an invitation to a different way of being in the And as is the case, we're invited into this. And Jesus is ultimately saying, if you decide to live like the reign of God is already here in its fullness, it will inevitably draw attacks from those who thought we were on their particular side of an issue. Most likely, in most cases, it will be those from within our own camp or familiar group. They thought we were with them. And all of a sudden what happens is when we decide to follow the way of Jesus to a degree that it causes us to not give our allegiance and loyalty to scapegoating whatever particular uh, um, person or group, the familiar group, our community decides that they don't like that day. They all of a sudden turn their attacks on us. That's what Jesus is ultimately saying. And that's why it's led up by blessed are those who are peacemakers. And then it comes into being persecuted. Now, we see this turn where Jesus makes a few very specific distinctions. First, notice that Jesus says that these things are said about us are false. The things that are said about us are false accusations. Next, Jesus says a few things about our behavior as a result of these attacks. And finally, Jesus draws a parallel to the Jewish prophets. I would like to suggest 
that this uh, approach we need to take today is maybe a little bit more practical for our everyday life. In my opinion, this idea that Jesus is presenting is about letting go of control and being willing to allow the action of our life to stand as a prophetic critique of the systems around us. Notice I said the actions of our life, not our words. It's easy to be vocally um, driven, and it's easy to always have something to say, particularly with social media. It's easy to be intellectually on the right side of an issue. It's easy to have um, an intellectual understanding that drives our speech to defend the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. But it's much different to actually give our body, our time, our treasure, and our talent to stand alongside in solidarity. See, that's the shift. As soon as your body, as soon as your being becomes invested in action, we have then moved from defense of something to solidarity with something. That's a big, um, that is a shift. Because if we stay in defensive, that's how Jesus could say, when they accuse you, don't even make a defense against it. But what he's saying is, uh, and remember in, in the trial of Jesus, we just came through this with Holy Week, when, uh, when uh, Pilate is making the accusations, what does Jesus say? It is as you say. He doesn't even defend himself. So it moves us from being defensive into solidarity. So I don't defend the LGBTQ community alone, vocally. I, we stand in solidarity with them. And then my vocal expression is acting out of the solidarity because I'm actually invested in people's lives, not invested in an intellectual concept. And so in this idea, this is Jesus. This is the embodiment. This is the incarnational view of what it means to be in the way of Jesus. And so I think for many of us in our current culture, we learn to say the right things. And that can be, uh, that can be good, but it can vary depending on the group we're a part of. Maybe it means defending a certain way of life or the right of others to have a certain way of life. And this is a great thing. This is important. I honestly believe in the way of Jesus that this is a posture that, that we should have, but it should be something that is an outcropping, that it should be an expression of our actions and lifestyle, not just our words. And this demands a letting go, which will undoubtedly feel like a loss of control. You see, we have been completely conditioned in the post-Enlightenment age where rationalism and intellectualism reign supreme. And from this, we often arise, arrive at a place where the person with the best argument rules the day. This allows the people that are the most passionate or the most charismatic to direct the entire group. And we see this today in our, what I'm going to call, rally culture. In fact, right now, um, that's something that is still happening where people are are rallying and getting together. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing in and of itself, but what's interesting is 
when it is a, if we're rallying and we're just vocally expressing our anger and outrage, but then not giving our life to stand in solidarity with those that are being affected by what we're outraged by, that's not solidarity. And so this lifestyle is something that we fully give ourselves to. And we need the vocal demonstration. We need those to lend their voices. But we need something that is a lived reality beyond our words. Because then our words will come out from, in my opinion, from a loving perspective that says, no, I'm standing with this person because I know them. I'm standing with this group because I see God at work in them and they are the beloveds of God rather than causing us to attack the attackers. When we choose to live in this way, we demonstrate the love of God by being first uh, those that are choosing to be loving. And when we choose to live this way, we're going to experience attacks similar to the way the Jewish prophets were attacked. The thing that stands out to me about this letting go and loss of control, where the connection, where the jump is made, in my opinion, is that Jesus specifies that people will say false things about us. But this seems to say we're not supposed to go around correcting the record. It at least implies that when they say things that are lies, false accusations, Jesus doesn't say, and when they do it, let everybody know that that's a lie. He invites us into a complete surrender of our ego, which includes our reputation. He invites us to, at some moment, probably be attacked by those who would identify as progressives for being too conservative, and those who identify as being conservative for being too progressive, because the way of Jesus cannot be co-opted into a group. The way of Jesus is the way of love and surrender and letting go. And that will always cause people to say things about us. And oftentimes, in my experience, the things they have to arrive at are false things. I can remember as an example, uh, one of the accusations against our church, I guess all of us, um, and me specifically, is that because I have tattoos, that in order to go to this church, you have to have tattoos. So you can see how there is a, is a movement from the reality of we're a church that doesn't care if you have tattoos to the false accusation of you have to have them. And it was really interesting because very quickly as that rumor began to circulate, what, what it, it began was I was having a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody in public. This is when we could go to places. Uh, and was having a conversation with them, and they looked at me and said, yeah, they said that you're tattooed from head to toe. They're looking at my face, which clearly has no, there's not a teardrop. I don't have the Mike Tyson uh, face tattoo going on, no neck tattoos. Um, I, I don't care if people do. But it's just interesting because those kinds of false attacks drive people to say things that are completely irrational. Somebody's looking at me in the face. The reality is in front of them. And yet the falsity is more appealing. 
Isn't that interesting? And so Jesus invites us into this. And I think the implication is that we're not supposed to be worried about correcting the record. Because as soon as you start getting in the realm of correcting the record and defending yourself, what you're defending is not your belovedness. You're defending your ego. You're defending your, your reputation and your image. And the only image, the, the root of our image is the divine. We were created in the image and likeness of God. And that needs no defense. And so what happens is in this uh, counter, this becomes entirely countercultural and requires us to surrender and let go of the need to look right which is always what the ego craves. In fact, the ego craves looking right more than the ego craves being right. And in this idea, I believe this is why the primary purpose of our spiritual tools and discipline is to learn to let go. I'm going to say that again. That may be the most important thing I say in this. The, I believe, primary purpose of all of our spiritual tools and disciplines is to learn to let go. To learn not to need to defend ourselves or approach things from a critical view, needing to look right. Thomas Burton said, we suffer to get well. He writes, we surrender to win. We die to live. We give it away to keep it. Man, that is paradoxical in the deepest sense, which probably means it's the gospel. This counterintuitive wisdom will forever be resisted, denied, and avoided, and is usually forced upon us by some reality over which we are powerless. And if we're honest, we are all powerless in the presence of full reality. What I mean by that is we're all, if we're honest, we're all powerless in the sense that we can't control, I think if anything, this global pandemic is showing us how powerless we really are. It's just the truth. And that, that, can, that feels not good, but that's an ego expression that wants to be in control. The ego demands to be in control, to say, I have the verse, I have the prayer, I have the, uh, the right health regimen, all those things, and none of them are wrong. But if those are <clears throat> an outcropping of control needs, those are an ego expression. And so Thomas Merton says, we actually suffer to get well. To be falsely attacked is this idea of powerlessness. And I believe that the Beatitudes are, an, are completely a call to powerlessness. To falsely be attacked then and not defend ourselves is a major thrust into powerlessness in that we can allow even these false attacks to be our teachers not embracing derogatory lies, but rather allowing those things to identify in us the places where we need to be more grounded in our belovedness. Like a divine invitation. What might it mean for a pandemic, false accusation, lies, persecutions, suffering, to be a divine invitation. And rather than to fight it and resist it, 
to allow it to be our teacher. Not accepting the lie as our reality, but sinking further into our belovedness. Finally, the disciples' response is prophetic action itself. Joy. Do you see this? This is so counterintuitive. When people falsely attack you, when they say all manner of, of lies about you, your response, our response is supposed to be joy. That is a prophetic critique of the, cult, the world culture in and of itself. That in and of itself is a critique. And notice our joy. Here's the thing that's really unique about this. Our joy, our loving lifestyle where we don't return attack for attack to those that are saying these false things against us, but we live in a rest of belovedness, what happens is that will be a posture that people don't really like. We don't have to say, we don't have to go around bragging, I'm joyful even though you said these things about me. We just live in that way. And that lifestyle will be a prophetic critique of the system that demands us, pushes us, clamors for us to uh, uh, um, live out of the ego expression, the false self. Joy proceeds from the inner realization of union with God, which descends upon us often unexpectedly and typically through suffering. This deepening is the goal of Christian contemplation and I believe is at the heart of the perennial wisdom from almost every faith. Ironically, it is letting go that causes us, excuse me, it is in letting go that we most truly possess God and participate in God's fullness. Obviously, we know we cannot possess God but that we find and discover the invitation of God and participate in God's fullness and experience this kind of joy. To live joyfully amid misunderstanding and slander, pandemic and virus, points beyond my kingdom. What about my 401k? What about my stocks? What about my health? What about my food supply? There's, that's normal, and we should experience those feelings. But this kingdom of God invites us past that, where I don't have to find whose fault the pandemic is. I don't have to think, did this person do it or did this person do it? See, that is an ego expression. But in this, we rest into belovedness. To be in control of one's destiny job or finances is nearly an unquestionable moral value in Western society. I'm going to read that again. That's just too good. To be in control of one's destiny, job or finances is nearly an unquestionable moral value in Western society. The popular phrase, take control of your life, even sounds mature and spiritual. It is the fundamental message of nearly every self-help book. And on some practical level, it's true, but not on the deep level. Yes, we need to be responsible for ourselves, but our bodies, our souls, and especially our failures teach us this as we get older. We are clearly 
not in control. As this pandemic is now teaching the entire planet, we're in this together and we're not in control. In most cases, people with high control issues end up trying to control others. You see, people that demand control of themselves oftentimes, or are unable to control themselves, are oftentimes the ones who try to possess, manipulate, and control others. The way of Jesus is never the way of control, but rather the way of surrender, the way of letting go, resting into our true self found in God, And in this, we find contentment and joy. And in this, we pack our bags from the living hell of being controlled by others' expectations or our own false expectations. And we surrender to the kingdom of heaven where we know as we are truly known. Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.